0: This is Reggie Martell reminding you that this podcast of local Brattleboro history is brought to you by Brattleboro Savings and Loan, the bank of Brattleboro. I'm chatting with Bill Holiday a few weeks back. This is Bill Holliday, you may know, noted coach, educator, internationally renowned JFK scholar, also, and I think people know this, uh, he is my uncle. So I'm chatting with Bill one day and I notice a file on his computer screen titled Andy Natowich Interview. Now this immediately took precedent over whatever conversation Bill and I were having because, well, uh, because Andy Natowich has always occupied a significant place in my own imaginings of all things broader world sporting, but well, now I should back up. Andy which is one of the seminal figures in the history of Brattleboro Youth Sports. He's right up there on the Rushmore of Brattleboro sports figures. Dede Stolte probably occupies that first George Washington spot, but but which is right there, too. I mean, he's Jefferson, along with Daryl Sawyer, uh, maybe Art Freeman, Carl Tenney, or, well, even Bill. I mean, I know Bill would object strongly to such a notion but he coached the first team to win a basketball state championship at buhs so you know i'm just saying but we'll leave that to sports talk show uh, rancor aside and just say that any Natowich which is synonymous with brattleboro union high school sports and his list of accomplishments is sort of unbelievable he, he played college football at Holy Cross and graduated in 1943. This is when Holy Cross was a, a huge team, was a, like a, a legit national powerhouse football team. Holy Cross played in the first intercollegiate football game ever, okay? Or 1896. Like these guys, they go all the way back. In 1945, they played in the Orange Bowl game. And, you know, this isn't like today where there's 46 bowl games. And I, I didn't make that number up. That's, that's the actual number of bowl games in... 2016 okay so this isn't like today where a 500 record gets you invited to the burger king mac and cheetos bowl okay this is this was the orange bowl in 1945 now again this is two years after andy nato which was on that team but the, but the point is that that's the space that holy cross occupied in intercollegiate football in that era There were eight bowl games played in 1945, all of them on New Year's. You know, you bought your tickets, you went to the game absorbing the ocular proof with your own peeps, or you listened on some staticky AM radio, you know, ear-cocked towards some tiny mono speaker in the side of your Buick-sized radio, and you liked it. So Andy Nattowicz played football uh, at Holy Cross, where uh, where actually he he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1985. He goes on to play one season of pro football in Washington. He also served in the Army during World War II, after which he comes to Brattleboro in 1945. And the, the sort of sporting universe of Brattleboro starts to kind of accrete around him. And he creates this sort of sporting infrastructure. I mean, it's sort of, uh, what do they say? I mean, as he's the the child of immigrants. What's that they always say, like, you want to get something started, get the child of immigrants. So he goes on to coach the high school, uh, BUHS, to football state championships in 1950, 1957, 1965. Um, 1965 was the year... Uh, Bill was on the team, and, and the quip that you always hear about that team is the best team in the state was Brattleboro, and then the second best team was Brattleboro's second string. I don't know if that's true, but uh, but it certainly is fun to say. And oh, and also went on. Uh, well, <laughs> he, his team was undefeated in 1953, but they but I think they used to vote on the state championship back in those days, so I'm sure there's some horrible controversy associated with that. Uh, but in addition to football, he also won the state championship in baseball in 1951-56-1961 and lost the championship game in 57-58 and 1960. What I remember, and this is a very visceral piece for me as a young aspiring football player myself, and one of the reasons my heart jumped when I saw this Natowich interview file on Bill's computer. but So what I remember were Bill's stories of Andy Natowich football practices that sounded like the Baton Death March, okay? Like Thermopylae, like 50-pound seed stacks on your back run up and down the public words, sand pits, because, you know, tonight we dine in hell on the corpses of 17-year-old kids who suffer the misfortune of playing football at Mount St. Joseph, okay? Like, <laughs> these these stories made an impression. And uh, and and here it was, the Andy Natowich story, in his own words, on Bill's computer. So a couple weeks ago, I asked Bill if he would do a short interview with me, uh, wherein I would ask him to set up his interview with Andy Natowich. And we did this at the football field named for Andy Natowich because won't it be awesome on an audio only podcast for this interview to take place on that field. And no, it wasn't awesome because the wind played havoc with our audio and we could have done in a studio and told you it was there. What I don't know. At this point, it can't be helped. So with the various disclaimers and caveats in place, I bring you my conversation last week, and uh, I'm recording this in late June 2016. So, this is my conversation last week with Bill Holiday at Natowich Field, where he explains the circumstances and raison d'etre of his 2000, that's the year 2000, interview with Coach Andy Natowitch.
1: Bill Holiday. At one time, the uh, football coach here, uh, assistant football coach, 1968 to 1980, and then the head football coach for 10 years after that. Talking about Coach Andy Natowich, who was my coach in high school, and uh, obviously I sought advice from Andy for many years during the time that I was coaching.
0: When was that interview?
1: The interview was done in 2000. And I did it really as a promotional thing as well as a historic thing, my two objectives. uh, One was to spruce up the program so that there was something new in it every week. And I would put pieces of the Natowich file as it was called into the program so people had something to look forward to on a weekly basis and buy the program because there was something new in it other than the same rosters week after week that was one objective and the other was for historic purposes and you've picked up on that here 16 years later and here we are
0: I don't know, I don't actually know much about Andy Nattovich, uh, other than the stories that I've heard, which was sort of a cantankerous ball buster basically
1: he certainly had that side to him, there's no question about it Reggie he was a master psychologist and he knew how to push people's buttons, uh, he was not a coach that Uh, treated everybody the same. He knew that some kids needed a kick in the butt, if you will, and he knew that other kids needed a little caressing. Uh, He was a little heavier on the butt kicking than the caressing, but uh, he knew what buttons to push, and he knew how to motivate people, and in some cases, he frightened us. There's no question about it. I was scared to death of the man uh, for much of the time that I I played ball for him, but um, he was trying to get out of me the best that I had, and he probably did. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> i was surprised at how receptive he was to the whole notion of that interview in and of itself well a man a- not without a bit of ego is that oh
1: sure there's no question I, I think any successful coach any successful person in life has to be self-motivated and a lot of that comes from your ego and another part of the motivation is being recognized for what you do and uh, this was a little bit later in his life obviously he had another 14, 15 years to go, but uh, he certainly was getting up there in age and to have somebody come along and record uh, some of what he had done, his accomplishments, and really provide him with questions where he could talk about his own experiences, uh, not only with his players, but also with the building of this field and, and uh, the administrations that he worked with in the school and, and how today there are so many coaches and that during his time he was the only coach.
0: And now, Bill Holiday's year two thousand interview with Andy Natowich.
2: One thing I want to tell you, Bill, they could say what they want to do about today's athletes. They know and you can you know who to give the devil to, and they're all good kids, and they have to the respect. I had the respect of all the kids, and that's why I had a lot of the tough kids in class. Nobody else would control them, but I could control them. they said, Mr. Natowich really likes us, and that was true. The same thing with the, kid, the football players, the baseball players. Sure, I give them hell, but just on the field, but after the white lines are finished, it's a different ball game. Yeah. You, you probably did the same thing, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not Jack- quite
1: as well as you.
2: On <laughs> <laughs> Jack Berry and a lot of the coaches, you know, after the game is over, after practice is over, it's a different story. But Go ahead, I'll go ahead.
1: Okay, what I wanted to ask you first, we'll go back to what we were talking yeah. about before we started recording yeah. here, and that is uh, how you ended up in Brattleboro. How uh, did uh, Andy Natowich from Ansonia, Connecticut end up in Brattleboro? Uh,
2: Holy cross you know, playing Holy cross, yeah. playing Division One football, all the big teams in the East. And which is true, Bill, you know? When I think of that, Louisiana and Georgia and my like, God, all those big schools compared to now. <laughs>
1: Now your older fans will remember all that, but the new people look I at know, Holy Cross and it's small-time football. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. You know, What
1: was it like, maybe back when you were were playing
2: at Holy yeah, Cross? Yeah, right, Bill. Yeah. So that's that's good. You got a lot of good topics there.
1: Let's go then. You ready? Huh? To, ready to tell us how you got into uh, into Brattleboro? You want? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, sure. I yeah, got recording uh, now. Uh, so. Huh i got it recording now.
2: What we yep. were talking about, we're talking about already? Oh yeah,
1: just started. Okay. minute and a half ago. Okay. So why don't we get started with Okay. how you ended up in Brattleboro. Uh, you'd never been here before in your life, and then all of a sudden you're teaching and coaching in Brattleboro.
2: Okay, Bill, following or near the conclusion of World War II, I, I received a medical discharge because of ear problems. And at that time that was in like in November so i worked in the so, so at the conclusion of the my discharge i played with the washington redskins for three or four games that was the at the end of the year
1: how did and that I, work coach how did the redskins find out about you
2: well i signed a contract prior to uh, the season before at the end of the season you know not knowing just what was going to happen if i would be uh, in ocs or in the regular Army, I was uh, turned down from the Marine Corps, OCS, because of my my ear problem and my back problem. So I enlisted in the U.S. Army, which I wanted to do. And they took me without an examination, believe it or not. <laughs> Don't laugh, but it was true, Bill.
1: This is during World War II, though,
2: Yes, right? this is World War II. Right. So they had a doctor examine me, Bill, you don't believe this, but he looked at me and he said, what are you, Jewish or Russian? I said, I'm neither one, I'm a Ukrainian of American extraction. He said, are you okay? You go ahead. you laugh, laughing that this is true. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a good time in the Army. It was in the uh, infantry, took my basic training, and then I was fooling around with some kids swimming at a weekend pass, and they ducked me a couple of times and all the water got into my ear and I, I got media, tedious media with is, which is blood and everything else coming out of it. I had to go to the infirmary and the Army doctor looked at me and said, how the hell did you ever get in this Army? <laughs> I, so I told them the story and they just couldn't stop laughing. They said, well, we're going to put you on limited service. He said, you could have either one of the two. You could be discharged or on limited service. I said, I want to be on limited service because I didn't want to go back home. Nobody was home. The war was going on. So they put me in limp to service, and I was in charge of a big gymnasium down at Camp Davis, North Carolina, Bill. I'll never forget it. What an easy job that was. And I was supposed to play football that fall. But then, like I said, the war, the war was, you know, winding up a little. We started the second front, and that was an awful day to remember. Uh, but And then things started to go... But for us, really winding up pretty good. So they start discharging all the limited servicemen. So I got out of the service, and I went home. And then I had my contract with the Washington Redskins, and I showed it to my lawyer. They said, well, you should be playing. You should be with them. I said, nah. So I did. I went down. They called George Marshall, and he said, come on down, Andy. So I went down and played for the Washington Redskins. And I played, Bill. With the greatest quarterback that ever lived, believe it or not. You probably heard of him. Sammy Ball? Sammy, yeah. His, they called him Sammy, but his real name was Adrian. And Bill, he could pass, he could kick, he could run, and he played defense. He was six foot three and about 183 pounds. He's a tall Texas Chris, uh, Christian uh, athlete, and he was the best ever. So to make a long story short, and then I got out, the, the winter was there, and so I said, I better start thinking about a job. So one of my counselors at high school, a man by the name of Mr. Roche, he said, we'll, uh, I think we'll have you uh, sign up for a teacher's agency up in Boston. So I did that, and about a month later I got this letter saying there was an opening up in Brattleboro, Vermont, which I heard of, but I didn't know of because a lot of the kids from Holy Cross at that time were playing baseball up here in the Northern League, as you remember. So I came up and talked to Mr. Wigan, or well, he came down to Ansonia, talked to me about it. And after about 15 minutes, he says, Andy, you have the job. I said, that's fine, I'll be up there one of these days. <laughs> so I said, he said, okay. So walking out of the room, he said, aren't you gonna ask me how much you're gonna make for your first job? I said, no, that doesn't make any difference. He said, well, we're gonna pay you $2,500 a year. That's built for eight phys ed classes, coaching three sports, and teaching one class in biology and taking care of proctoring a large study hall with about 300 kids in the old building in the study hall. I was the only one, and they told me I was a real mean person, but I thought I was just doing my job.
1: Who's they, the kids or the... uh...
2: Yeah, the kids thought I was tough, (laughs) because Bill, at that time, I was told... Brattleboro was having a disciplinary problems with the kids, which is very, very true. And I don't want to mention the names, but <laughs> they, they were. Because my first time on, when I came up, I met the uh, captain of the coming football season. And uh, they told me all about this kid. And they said, he's an awful smoker. I said, oh, we'll find that out. So one day I was talking to him, and I, and I stop, we stopped talking. I said, oh, jeez, I, I forgot my cigarettes. What can I get? Me? Here's one, here's one, here's one. I said, they make sure that's your last cigarette you'll ever smoke. And this is a very true Billy. And when this person hears this, he'll start laughing. He'll tell you about it. I'll tell you who it was. Tink Harris. Remember Tink Harris? He was a tremendous athlete. Football player, basketball player, and baseball player. And I said, Francis, make sure that's your last cigarette. He said, okay, well, it will will be. So, okay, so that was how we came to Brattleboro, all right? So then the following year, Bill, that football season, we'd call practice. And guess how many kids showed up? 17. Really? 17 kids to play football for Brattleboro High School.
1: We should just say that today... 50 to 70 is probably a reasonable number. Well, for that's the where we ended spot. up right. we ended
2: up 55 and 60 kids. But we'll go down into that. So 17 kids showed up. And then when I looked at the equipment bill, oh, my God. I said, how could this be? And they said, oh, that's all we have. So we didn't do too well that year. We what were, year was that? If I might we ask. won two games and lost six. In what year? And that first year.
1: Was that 1940? That was
2: 1945, Bill. 45, 1945. Okay. So you were down at the old center? That, down the old center, right. So, uh,
1: but you played where? Where was practice? Where
2: were the practice games? Practice was where the field is now, and we used to have to walk up. Okay? So. And then I found out, Bill, there were two schools, two high schools in Brattleboro. I said, oh my God, what am I getting into? They had a Catholic school, St. Mike's, and then a public school, Bravo, Bravo High School. And I didn't like that at all. So I told my wife after, I said, we'll stay here for a couple of years, and then we'll move on. So we, and then, like I said, Bill, the kids did pretty well for the amount of practice they had or the, or the ability or the experience. So we played our last game, against Keene, New Hampshire. I didn't know anything about Keene. Here we were with two high schools in Broward with a population of 12,000, and Keene had a population of twenty-one high sc- 21,000 uh, with one high school. I said, oh, my God, what the hell am I doing? So we played Keene that fall, and they said, oh, you're going to get killed, and so forth and so on, because Keene was killing Broward every year. So we played them. And we had them 13 uh, or 12 to uh, 6. We had them beaten. And then all of a sudden, this kid Chamberlain breaks open for 62 yards and beats us, you know. So, oh, my God, was I disappointed. So what a tremendous crowd we had, though. So after the game, I said, Mr. Wigan, boy, this is a beautiful crowd. And he said, yes, it was, Andy. I said, now maybe we could buy some football uniforms for the kids now. He said, oh, no, we can't do that. And I said, why not? He said, we have to buy band uniforms for the money we made from the game. This is actually the truth bill. So, so I said, okay. So then we had basketball practice. So I so were the I co-
1: basketball coach as well? I was the
2: basketball coach. coach, baseball coach, took care of the fields and so forth and so on. So basketball started. Mr. Wigan gave me two balls, one for practice, one for the game. I said, Oh my god, what the hell am I gonna do here? So we did all right. So we had we didn't have a very good season again. But uh then we can came, came the baseball bill. And then the same thing happened. Lousy uniforms, no baseballs to practice with, and the kids said, Coach Miss Coach, don't worry about it, we'll take care of the baseballs. I said, How the devil they can take care of the baseballs? And at that time, the spaulding factory was located here in Brattleboro where the SD organs uh, really? was located and three or four of the kids would go to work after school at At that time they would get out of school 20 minutes after one so they would go to work at the uh, factory and then come up with the baseball practice with baseball uh, in the pocket so we would have about half a dozen balls for baseball practice every day, brand new ones. I think we're the only ones that school in the country was practicing the brand new baseballs because the kids took care of that because at that time, Bill, during the war, you know, the restrictions were on with all different types of materials. So we did fairly well in baseball. So then the following season, Bill, with the kids with a little experience, we turned everything around. Instead of two and six, we were six and two with the perennial defeat by Keene each year because of, well, we shouldn't have been playing them. Let's put it that way. And Bellas Falls was a good ball club in those years because they had the Walpole kids. They only had that one high school. They didn't have Fall Mountain. So they were a pretty good ball club. But then we had to play Turner's Falls, Bill. I didn't have anything to do with that schedule. Mr. Wiggins made it. And, geez we went down there that first year. I forgot to tell you. My God, they're a strong ball club. We got beat 33 to nothing. And Earl Lorden was the coach at that time. And he came up to me after the game. He said, Coach, your club looks pretty good. I like that ship. The ship we had in Notre Dame ship and stuff. And he was a, and he ended up, Bill, by being a Massachusetts coach years later. So going on, and then from then on, Bill, it was much better. But going back, like, to baseball, Bill, they had no baseball in Brattleboro beside the high school. And so I started the Legion baseball team with all our old uniforms and old bats and so forth and so on. So that's how the Legion program started, okay?
1: In the late 40s also?
2: Very- it went right through, Bill. Yeah. Uh, I coached the Legion for probably about 15 or 16, 17 years and. Then the parents of one of the kids that were going to play, uh, they would help out, take over the coaching. Like one of them, La flam, and uh, Kenny Campbell, Jim Galantis, those guys helped out, and they took over the coaching of the Legion until at present they usually have the high school. And nobody was paid for coaching in the Legion except uh, Al Liberdoni was coached one year, and he was paid handsomely well. So, like, at the present time, the Legion has this good program. So, you know, they're fortunate, Bill, to have all, this, all these things presented to them, and which, which, the way, which is the way it should be. So then, then in 1948, Bill, I got, I got to bring this in because so many people wonder how we got the name colonels. Probably you're one of them. So
1: I don't know the answer to that
2: question. Well, I'm going to give you the true answer, Bill. <laughs> so in uh, 1946, when we were in 47, 48, when we were starting to have pretty good ball clubs, they used to call us the organ grinders after the SD Oregon, and they would call us the whiz kids because we were fortunate to have a good cycle of kids that we were winning. And they also would call us the Nat and I didn't like either one of them. So I approached the president of the student council to pick out an athletic name for the athletic teams. So they submitted three names to the student body. The Crusaders, which I recommended after Holy Cross. Pete Ferdoni recommended the Barracudas, the fighting fish. And then Eric Scott, who was helping me in basketball, he uh, recommended the colonels. I said, Eric, why the colonels? He said, well, we're from the South. So the student body voted on the name, and that's they elected the name, they chose the name, the colonel. So that's how the colonel's name was born, Bill. And that now, was in 48, That was 40, 49 or 50. Mm-hmm. So what name year, I, I can't remember. So And then the colonel... Uh, symbol that we wear here right. today was given to us by a man by the name of Mr. Ben uh, from the Champion Sporting Goods Company. So I, I told him what I wanted and he submitted this to me and I said gee that's great I think we'll use that. So that's how we got the symbol uh, of the colonels on our colonel our jackets and so forth and so on. Okay so that's the honest to goodness truth bill. Okay so during the years I tried to uh, start a youth program in basketball to build up our basketball program, because actually we' were pretty fortunate. we have some pretty good athletes built, like Pete Feridoni, Tim Ryan, Eddie Coughlin, Joe Sinook, uh, Coach Kenny, and they. so they're pretty good pretty, pretty good a uh, pretty good group, you know. so but I still wanted a basketball program with the young kids. But believe it or not, Bill, the school board wouldn't allow it. We, no coaching and anything over 22 miles we couldn't play. So we couldn't, no 7th and 8th grade program, no young kids program. So we just went along having what we had. The same thing in football. They wouldn't allow that. So I got some money together from a few of my friends in town and started the, the junior high program. So I had missed around, start uh, he was of the first coach with the junior high program, and Bill, believe it or not, we used to have 16, 70, 80 kids out out in the field every day playing. We would, they would call themselves like Green Bay, the Giants or Boston and so forth and so on. They would play 20 minutes to, and then go in for the shower. And what I want to tell you, and right now, Bill, none of, none of the coaches if probably by that time was paid one, one per cent, everything was on the, under the contract that you were a teacher and you would do this and you would do that and so forth. From what they tell me today, the coaches are paid very hand, handsomely in the program, which is, which is the way it should be.
1: Let me ask you about those contracts. Uh, if you were a social studies teacher with X number of years experience, and there was another social studies teacher with the same number of years of experience. Were you paid the same or did your contract reflect a little bit for all that extra that you were doing?
2: No, it didn't, Bill. No difference until the faculty got together and we talked over a, uh, fact, a contract and also a, a salary schedule, just what you just asked me. And I'll never forget Miss Knapp, who was a wonderful math teacher in Browborough High School. She said, Andy, if you don't mind, would you could you please tell us what your salary is? I said, Sure, twenty five hundred. They said, What? twenty five hundred? Nobody makes twenty five hundred dollars here. I was I was the only one making twenty five hundred dollars. I said, Oh my God. You know, so that's how the salary schedule got started, Bill. Charlie Volt was on the uh, the committee, Leila Napa I remember, uh Red Graham who uh well he was a wonderful person too. So that's how the salary schedule in Browborough was born. And if you're a social studies teacher and if you're a coach and so forth and so on, that was your that was your salary. That those were your duties, along with any other duties they wanted to put on this guy. So so that's that's how it was, Bill. In the olden days, yeah. you want to know something about the <laughs> olden days? That's how it was. That's why we're here. <laughs> but 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 Bill, I tell you, I think we had a little better esprit de corps in those days with the teachers. Everybody was looking out for each other. And so if it was a, a homogeneous group, let's put it that way, Bill. Everybody loved each other on the, on, on the faculty, and we did. We used to have Christmas parties, get together, and, and it was, it was a really a, a wonderful time, Bill, to be honest with you, yeah. uh, compared to how it ended up over the school when I retired after 30 years of teaching in, in, uh, due to my many years disease. So, shoot away. you got any other questions? I do. Um,
1: The next one I wanted to ask you, Coach, is about the town when you got here. You've said something about the three teams that you were coaching and the equipment that you found here and the experience and lack thereof. But almost any town that Brattleboro plays has a reputation. You know, we say, ah, that's a good baseball town. But they're not so hot in football or that's a good basketball town. What kind of a town was Brattleboro when you came here?
2: What a wonderful question, Bill. When I <laughs> when I first got here in 45, all they talked about was tennis and track. They had wonderful track teams and a wonderful band. So <laughs> laugh, go ahead, but that's the truth. So I said, well, so then Mr. Dogretti, who was a coach prior to the war, he went off to the war and he came back and he came back to talk to Mr. Wigan and myself, and I said, Ray, where are all the athletes in this town? He said, Andy, you've got to develop them. So that's why I brought it up before I t- tried to develop youth teams, okay? So I, can, I, don't, I don't know what year it was, Bill, but nineteen, uh, maybe forty-eight or forty-nine, the Little League came into existence all over the country, and then to Brattleboro. So four gentlemen... Well, let's say three gentlemen, myself, <laughs> founded founded the Brattleboro Little League, Doctor McSweeney, Ed Cray, who used to be the steward at the Legion, who has a grandson playing for the uh, high school now. Oh, Sean
1: is yeah uh, grandson. Yeah, that,
2: of- that's I what I was that. told. That's Billy's son. Is Billy's his father? That's what Renny Carlson told me. Yeah, I see. and. Uh, and uh, a kid by the name of Tom White from the Boston area and yours truly. So we we were the ones that founded the Little League. So we had a field where the, the present junior high school is. I developed that for a field. And then the following year or the year after, uh, the Forty and Eight bought the field where it is now. But at that time, it was, it was known as the veterans' homes, the old homes for the, you know, uh, people that didn't have homes during the war. So we developed that field down there with the help of Mr. Holiday, who happens to be your wonderful father at that time. Bill and Ernie Coughlin and myself and Bacassi developed that field down there with the help of Larry Thomas and with the help of his town, uh, a lot of the guys from the town yard. So, And then I want to tell you also, Bill, your father and your uncle, I forgot his name, but he lives in, they lived in Shelburne Falls. You must know his name. His son played for Holy Cross. He was a catch for Holy Cross. He was electrician. He, he and your father built the first scoreboard for the Little League. You may remember that scoreboard? You, you were just a little kid it. and it's still in your knee pants. It was in
1: my garage. I okay,
2: <laughs> right. And that boy, your dad did. Oh, we worked like the devil developing that field to what it is today, but they still need a lot of work on it. So that's how the Little League was founded, Bill. Okay? So, so things started to develop pretty well. We had the Legion team, we had the uh, Little League, then the Legion team. And But we just still didn't have a good basketball program, Bill. And then I forgot his last name, but Bob, uh, you probably remember his name. He owned the, uh, where New- Newton's business. He was originally from uh, Berry, and they always had a youth basketball oh, program. Bob Peril. Peril Bob that's Peril, that's right. Bob, Bob came from uh, Berry, and they always had a youth program up there. And that's why they were so good in those days, because they had that program. And other towns had that program. Bellas Falls had that youth program, basketball program. So Bob developed that program in town, and that developed into a really good basketball program. They had the Itty -bitty, Bitty League, and now they start the kids in the second grade, third grade, and so they have a pretty good program. So they're quite fortunate. At having all these wonderful things at their disposal now, the coaches—they don't—they, they should have been here for fifty-five years ago. and, and when suffered. There was the, nothing
1: but tennis and track and band, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> right. That—that's
2: that's the truth, Bill. I—I yeah. I hate to say it, but that's the truth. But then we developed those programs with the help. And the thing is, Bill, I have to tell you this also. I was the, the coach. And if I was lucky enough to pick up an assistant from somebody in town or somebody on the faculty, I was fortunate. My first assistant coach was a man by the name of T.J. Miller. He was the assistant principal. He told Mr. Wiggin he played in college, so he, he let me, he, he said I could have him for a coach. And oh, my God, and that was beside the point. But then Lou Turner, who played for the high school years ago, he used to come up and help with the football program. But there's no help in basketball, and the same thing in baseball. So compared to the present-day number of coaches they have, so they they should be pretty happy. And also, Bill, I want to stress this thing. We never receive one cent from the taxpayers of Brattleboro for the equipment or anything like that for our athletic equipment. The kids would have to earn the money, through magazine sales, remember the magazines? Sure, too. You were on it, probably. I was on it. And that's how the money was raised for the equipment for uh, for sports.
1: Didn't even know where that money went. To be honest with you.
2: Yeah, well, I know. One year we went for the. I wanted a camera for, to record the, the games and so forth, and they spent it pretty wisely. And also, and then when Mr. Perry became principal up here, he used to in a cafeteria. Remember those ice cream bars? Mm-hmm. Well that's where the money went towards athletics to sell those ice cream bars. So and compared today, Bill, you could vouch for this or you could believe it or not, I think they get close to two hundred thousand dollars for the expenditures for athletic equipment and for SAS Student Activity Society. Is there any truth to that do you know i,
1: I wish i did but i have well, that, no it, idea
2: it is it is that's the truth bill because i was told that actually someone told me uh, i was 189,000. but that was about 10 years ago it must have gone up with the money they spent over there for athletics and so forth which is which is great you know i don't
1: even know what happens to the game receipts to be honest well, well, with really. sh- people they sh- go to the game they pay to go to the game I don't know where the money goes.
2: But. Well, I think that goes into it probably the same fund or a general fund. But uh, the coaches over there should be pretty happy with the equipment and the money they have to spend for it, and the number of coaches for each for each sport. Bill, you know, that's great, that's great. But you have any other questions before we keep on going? Oh, I've
1: got lots of them. Although you're welcome to keep on going. Oh, I counter. could go all day. Yeah. Let me just ask you this. Uh, first of all, um, relative to football, we're probably going to be airing some of this during football season. So, um, I would imagine any coaching staff that's ever been at Brattleboro has to look to a particular school or a particular program, a particular team, and say, if we're going to be any good this year, we're going to have to beat this school and/or that school. Uh, who are the schools during your? Uh, time as coach, did you feel that you had to be able to beat in order to, well, shall we say, win a state championship, which was done then by vote or something, wasn't it? You didn't have any playoff.
2: That's right, but that's very true. Well, I'll be honest with you, Bill. The only team at that time, outside the Vermont teams, the Vermont teams, we weren't afraid of all. We we had that, that cocky confidence that we could hold our own with anyone after we had our program going. The only team that really uh, gave us a real licking all the time was Keene. Like I told you before, Bill, there, there they had one high school, one high school, and we had two high schools in half the size of the town. So, But we held our own against them. And, and then finally, finally, Bill, when Keene had two schools, Actually, it was a Marlboro, they had the, uh,
1: Maybe Monadnog. Monadnog,
2: right. So they, they had, all, they, those
1: to to all those kids used to
2: go to Keene. All those kids used to go to Keene. So instead of going to, you know, so we played Keene and we whacked him quite a few times, you know, with, with the evenings. And one of our stars at that time was Joe Jakes. He was a real good football player. And he ran wild one of the games. And Raymond Smith, who was a pretty good football player, and uh, Mark Richards and those kids, Marvin Carly, they we did our we did all right with King. You know? And now and up to that time, but like I told you, up to nineteen sixty seven and then Saint Michael's closed. So now we had one school. So we were pretty lucky in that respect. You know, we're getting the Catholic kids up from Saint Michael's that came up there and we had Quite a few kids come up from St. Mike's and de- to help develop the program. You didn't recruit any of those kids from St. Mike's, <laughs> Bill. I don't have to recruit. They try to recruit for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you the truth. Uh, Martin LePan, Butch LePan, he wanted to play football so bad, so he he transferred up to Browborough. And Pete Bibby, remember Pete Bibby? Sure. He skipped school so often that his mother said, finally, okay, you could go to. Bralbo High School and play. So that's how we got something starts getting those school kids. But you t- you said recruiting, heck, I remember Father Buckley used to talk to the kids, Catholic kids in uh, BHS to get down there. And I'll tell you a true story Bill. Mr. Rooney at that time was the superintendent of the cotton mill, all right? And a lot of the kids would uh, get jobs down there, not my kids but he one of the bosses down there promised uh, quite a few of my Catholic kids to go to St. Mike's that he would get them a job down at the cotton mill after school so I heard about it so I spoke to Dick Rooney who was one of my athletes and he talked to his father about it. he said is that true I'll take care of that so he took care of that he <laughs> none of the kids <laughs> so uh, we had our we had our share bill we uh, we did all right so
1: so that's league. what happened
2: there. But as far as any other team, we weren't uh, in awe of any other other high school team. In fact, we had to go to Massachusetts to get a game, like you know, Adams Mass. They were a good football part to play us. So then finally, I got smart. We dropped Keene, They're going back when they you know, but then we picked them up again when they had two school uh, and we had it's one. A fairly even matchup these days. They should be, Bill. They should be. They should be. But uh, like I was talking to Bill Holbrook, he said Keene is still a pretty good size, uh, you know, school, which is great.
1: Um, Kids today spend an awful lot of time in weight rooms. You had your own variety of weight room and the jobs that used to get kids in the off season and I know I was one of them. <laughs>
2: I know right. he grabbed
1: me by the shoulder and said, you're coming to, uh, to work with me
2: right, this right. summer. Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, <that's, laughs> Thank that, you, sir. That's true, Bill. At that time, uh, prior to that time as far as weights, I went to a, a coaching clinic at Atlantic City, and they were bringing up weight programs and so forth and so on. But I thought it was a good idea, but where was I going to get the money to buy the weights? So there was no such thing. So what I what I try to do after reading Paul Brown's uh, history of Massillon High School, I think you probably heard of it. Out
1: in Ohio.
2: Ohio, right, yeah. Bill. They were the best high school teams in the country. I read his history book and so forth. And what he used to do, Bill, he would recruit from other towns. He would bring in the parents from the other towns of Ohio and get them jobs in the local factories. And this is true. a lot of them do it today. But what I thought I'd do is I would get my key uh, ballplayers, I would get them jobs with the state highway department or working up the high school on the grounds or with uh, construction people. So uh, I know one year we had seven or eight or nine kids working on the grounds and and on different types of jobs, including you. (laughs) So... I believed more in speed instead of building up big muscles. But I wanted them in shape also. And Bill also, we didn't practice in order to protect the jobs for the kids at that time. We wouldn't practice until the school started, but we would practice at night not during the day because I thought more of the kids and most of those kids that played for me and worked for me, they played three sports. And gee, they needed the money, you know. So they, they kept working right up to the last day. So that's how that started, Bill. Okay?
1: Sure enough. You want to take a little break? No. You sure?
2: Yeah, I'm all right.
1: Okay. Um, Understanding that no coach wants to necessarily single out uh, a guy or a group of guys or even any particular team, you must have some teams uh, that you you remember fondly um, because they were so successful. So I guess I'm asking you, Uh, to talk maybe a little bit about some of your more successful teams, even including those that maybe people didn't expect to do well and then they did particularly well in any of the sports?
2: Well, Bill, I treat it like a family. They're all good to me, all right? They're all good to me. They were maybe talented athletes, but as long as they gave me 100%, that's all I would ask for. If they didn't, well, you know, I would get after them. And they had to behave themselves outside the athletic uh, fields and so forth and so on. And you're talking about athletes and that were talented athletes. Yeah, we had, we had quite a few of them, you included. I remember way back in 65, I knew we were going to have another good ball club. We had a good fullback, a kid by the name of Guy Garofalo. He hurt his knee. All right, skiing. Then we had another good fullback, Denny Smith. He had a broken hand. He couldn't. He couldn't play. And then we had another kid. I don't want to mention his name. Well, he gave him a crack at it, and he didn't. He froze when he was put him in the game. So we're we're in need of a fullback, and I did not know what to do because I didn't like to have young kids, like freshmen or sophomores, playing. So I knew this kid. By the name of Holiday, was a tough kid. He, You're he wasn't, not going to
1: embarrass me here, are you? No,
2: I'm not going to embarrass you, Bill. Oh, I'm right. just telling you the truth. Uh, I knew that Billy was a pretty tough kid because I knew the family. I knew Billy pretty well. But I don't like the idea of being only a sophomore because he didn't have any experience. So we used to run this uh, Billy series where the fullback would have to fake up the middle and we'd hand it off to the halfback, either one or run or pass. So Billy, I gave Billy the job. And he did a tremendous job. And that's what happened in that 65 ball club, Bill. You faked up the middle, because Marvin Carley used to do that prior years, or Maynard Bush, but they were like 180, Maynard Bush was like 190. So when I gave you the job, I think you were what? About 155 pounds. Just about. Yeah, just about, right. And and, uh, and you made that club go along with Philip and Denny, and Jerry Morris, and Zalanakis, and, all the rest of them, for and Farnums and so forth, that was a pretty good ball club. Now, in regard to many uh, ball clubs, Bill, we had state championships in 55, 51, 55, uh, 60, uh, well, 53 were undefeated and so forth. I think we ended up with four state championship ball clubs. So, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky, it's, I imagine. You could say lucky, but uh, they are well-drilled, Bill. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> Anybody mess up, and they used to have tackling practice, too. And they, they didn't tackle right. They would have to go through the tackle line. I think you remember that when we would line up 50 kids and go through the tackle line. If you messed up, you'd shake your head and say, oh, my God, oh, those are awful days. But I didn't think they were. We had to go through when I was in school, and Holy Cross, so so but we had many good kids but I'd like to mention uh you said good athletes but we had a kid by the name of Pete Ferradoni which I think was probably one of the three greatest athletes in the history of Broadble High School. You had Frankie Taylor was known as one of the greatest. Then you had Ernie Johnson was one of the greatest. Then you had Pete who was one of the greatest. Okay, three sport athletes what I'm talking about since I was here, okay? And then you had, then you had Pete LaFlam, who I thought was a pretty good athlete, and another another kid I thought was a pretty good athlete, three sport athlete was was yourself, Billy Holiday, okay? You never knew I thought that much of you, huh? But you asked a question, so I have to answer. I know it. I, okay? I'm
1: more used to the size nine. Uh, and I, I, I know. Size <laughs> I other know
2: other that, Bill. But yeah. I'm just telling you the truth. And Denny Robinson was another one who was a great athlete. My son Philip was probably the greatest quarterback this colony ever had in, in football. Bill was an outstanding baseball player, but he didn't play basketball. You know. But uh, those are some of the greatest. Danny and yourself, Jerry Morrison, you Joe Sanook.
1: I, I think uh, Phil could have been a pretty good basketball player. He never played really until, uh, I think he played one year in high school.
2: Yeah, I know he and played. He was but,
1: certainly athletic enough to have been a basketball player, but I always thought you took a dim view of basketball, which is why he wasn't interested in it until later. Well, on.
2: well, yeah, well, that's probably true. But uh, I tell you, Bill, uh, Phil was asthmatic; he had asthma, and he wasn't supposed to play any basketball. So, uh, so uh, that was the reason. Is that I'm not taking a dim view of it. The same thing with my nephew. When he was living with us, he, I took a dim view because he had the same problem. He had double pneumonia as a kid, and he wasn't supposed to play. So Phil, we bought Philip skis, and he loved to ski, so we went up, and that was the greatest thing for him to be out there with asthma. So uh, that was the reason for that, Bill. <laughs> you know There's always else? a reason.
1: You know what else? Today, he's a pretty good tennis player.
2: I know he's a pretty good <laughs> tennis player. I, I said, you finally found your sport. <laughs> <laughs> well, he came to a town that was known for tennis. Say, well, yeah. That's right.
1: <laughs> you know, he's I'm wondering if you could uh, talk about maybe a handful of what you would consider your greatest games, either comebacks, uh, not expected to win, or... You know, something along that line.
2: Keith, Bill, I, that, that, that's pretty hard to uh, remember because, uh, to be honest with you, we had most of these games won in the first half or the third quarter, and I don't remember any coming back in the last couple of minutes and so forth and so on. I really don't, Bill. Like I said, we're we're fortunate enough to have pretty good kids, and... We would have these games won, just like when you played your, the South Point years. Those games were won in the first quarter. So uh, as far as that's concerned, Bill, I, I really can't remember. The only time I remember, we were playing Windsor one time, and we were behind, and I didn't want to use this play. It was an end-around pass where B.B. used to run the end-around, and he'd throw a pass. And, and that was the only time I remember coming back for a game because there's an old saying, Bill, in coaching. I don't know if you ever remember that. If you get beat in the second half, there's a reason for it. You're either poorly coached or you're poorly in shape, and I would never admit either one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I remember that
1: too, yeah. Let me ask you about some of the characteristics that you look for in what you would consider to be a high-caliber player. What are the characteristics that you would find in a player that told you, you know, I can make a ball player out of this guy, whether it's football or baseball or whatever?
2: Well, the first thing, Bill, was speed. That's what I look for all the time, speed. If the kid could run, he could play. And in football, if you could tackle, you could play football. If you could, in basketball, the same thing, you could develop a shot. But if you didn't have any feet couldn't run, you couldn't do anything. Same thing in baseball, if you couldn't run. That's the first thing a scout looks for when he's looking for a baseball prospect. If they can't run, forget it. So that, that's what I always look for, Bill. And Then you could develop the rest. Well, you have to have a heart, where you could find out quick if a kid had a lot of heart or not. Being in, this, being in this town for so long, and I knew just who was coming up, and I knew just what type of kid he was from the parents he had. And I think a lot of coaches go by that. If you had a hard-working family, hard-working parents, you know the kids are going to be hard-working. They're going to be fed with a silver spoon. And those are the kids I look for. I know, I hate to say this, but (laughs) I would have kids from Fort Dummer and Elliott Street and the lower part, Canal Street, and, and some of the, People in the town were always complaining to the principal coach that was using those kids all the time. And this, I remember Mr. Perry telling me, "Was so would you if you were a coach and had those kids, you would do the same thing too." That was going back to tennis and track, Bill. <laughs> the same type. Yeah. Okay. This is the truth. Sure. So, sure. so that that was the truth. Those those kids I knew, Bill, before they came up, who just who was who, and uh, they should do it today. But I don't know if they do. What? That's it.
1: That's a good question. Uh, Fort Dummer isn't today what it was? Oh, no. Oh, no. The kids the are Doc wealthy. Miller.
2: Yeah, the kids are wealthy now. They don't have to work hard. <laughs> Everybody's got money. You know the old saying, when your belly is full, no complaints. I see. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: you, you think that over. So that
1: comes out of the Depression era. Sure.
2: Right. That's yeah. true, Bill. Okay. Right.
1: Someday we'll have to come back here and talk about some history.
2: Oh. Yeah. Oh, I was brought up in the Depression area. I know what it was, Bill. Yeah. So uh, that's the... They thought I was tough, but I was just doing what I did naturally for when I, in my youth, coming up in the hard times.
1: Let me ask you about motivation and uh, what you would do, what you felt were your greatest strengths relative to motivating players. Because I think if anybody listens to this, they're going to have a story, at least one story, and perhaps a half dozen <laughs> or a dozen, about something that you did to motivate that particular player and to make that person believe that he's a better person today because of something you did motivationally back in his playing time.
2: Yeah Bill, there's a lot of truth of that. But I would use mostly uh speaking to the kid, you know, saying that he, he could do this if he wanted to do do this. They had the ability to do this. First you had to work. You're not gonna get anything in this land of ours for nothing at all time you will have to go out and prove yourself and go out and work to do these things go out and and make something of yourself go out and get an education that's why i'm always yelling at the kids when i had the kids How's your studies coming, so forth and so on. You know, you can't depend on your parents all the time. They're not going to live all the time. You have to start thinking about yourself. You're going to be a growing up one of these days. So you better get educated. You better start thinking about getting a good job and so forth and so on. As far as the athletes, oh, I didn't have too much trouble motivating. Like you always said, I had a good size 10 shoe, but I don't know. (laughs) I still have the shoe, but it's pretty soft. Pretty soft, Bill. I doubt but uh, if they didn't behave themselves, they would have to go through the tackle line. Mean, well, we didn't have too many. And in all my uh, <coughs> 40 years of coaching building, I only had to uh, expel two kids from the team. And they they didn't behave themselves too well, according to my way of thinking. And, so we, and that was the only tool that I had to uh, expel from the squad. One thing... They never, I never would want my see my kids drinking, or smoking. I said, if I catch you smoking, you've had it. And I remember telling Philip Kemp this all the time. I said, Philip, I catch you smoking, that's it. He said, you'll never catch me. He, I know he smoked the some of ago, but I couldn't, I couldn't catch him. And I, he just, he was up here the other day, to come to visit. He comes up to visit now and then. And I always kid him about that. you can never catch me. But he, I told him that I was going to have an interview with you, you know. And, he, and he, he start yelling at me. He said, you better tell him the truth, how mean you were and how tough you were. My mother used to hear you talking, yelling from way down the Fort Denver. I said, well, that's all right. I had a good voice. I had to use it. And they, oh, my God, Philip Phillips, you better tell him the truth. So I'm telling you the truth. Always the truth, yeah. I'm telling you the truth. boy. Oh, boy.
1: Um another question. And this is one I actually hear out in the community from time to time when your name comes up. Uh especially when somebody's talking about the field and they see your name on the field. Uh, maybe I'll divert for a minute. How do you feel about that? Anytime you walk over there a field that you devoted your life to, and uh football and baseball and other youth programs in this town and your name's on the
2: field. On the football field? That's right. Well let me tell you, Bill. I built every field in town. I don't know if you know that. Okay, starting, I renovated the baseball field with the help of my buddies from the town yard, okay? I always turned to the town yards because I couldn't do everything with my hands, you know. So Tommy Laflamme came out. I got the loan for nothing from the book press. All loan for nothing. The town... Guys would transport it from the book press down, and all I had to pay the town was some of the loan from there because they would need so so that's how the rent the baseball field was renovated that was in fifty three prior to that time was a half it was a sand bank out there it was all sand out there and so forth, so we renovated that field then, and then in sixty five bill, we renovated the football field that was your first year sophomore year. Yeah.
1: I remember I was one of your you're, workers. I'm just going to. i where just, I learned about the size
2: 10. <laughs> that's what I was going to tell you. That you're one of them. That was Timmy, Timmy, uh. Moore. Timmy Moore. Timmy Moore. Uh. Kearney Claflin was there, and uh. and uh, Bobby Farnham. They're working on the field. So that was through the help of the uh town yard also we got the loan from the where the price chopper is now for nothing uh justin Holden got all that loan so we did that field all over but going back going back to the fields bill uh i built with the help of uh, dennis hamilton cutting the trees down and tommy o'connell from the town bringing in uh phil for the small fry league okay phil all right the, the uh where do they play softball now the uh you know, the recreation field.
1: Memorial Park? Memorial
2: Park. We built that. Harvey Dix was the postmaster at that time, and they had the Legion take it over, and Harvey Dix called me and he said, Andy, would you help us out there? I said, sure, I'll help you. I'll do it for you. So we built that field for them, and also the one up, up the top, all right? And it's, I already told you about the uh, the... Little League field, we built that for them. We built a beautiful field up to when we were putting the lawns in for the West Brattleboro field. We put that in, but I was forced to build anytime I needed any help. I would always turn to my buddies on the town yard at the town yard, Tom, Elifem, Larry, uh, uh, uh what's it, so forth. And like at the present thing, time Steve Bear, Rick Ather. Uh, uh, Russ Mears, Tommy O'Connell, those guys, and Peeps, Powers, they would always come to my aid and help if we needed uh, to better the fields in Brattleboro, we would do it. Same thing with Fort Dummer. Fort Dummer field, Bill, before we built it, rebuilt it, it was just two by four, like a little softball field. When we went down and cut all those trees down, Denny Hamilton and his forestry crew came down and cut all those fields down. And then I had my buddy, a Peeps powered from the town yard grade the field and then next thing I needed, we needed loam. We didn't have any loam to cover the grade. So guess and behold uh, Gary Carrier, Butch or one of my former fullbacks, they came to my aid and they gave me over $10,000 worth of loam to do that field. So that's how Fort Dummerfield was built. Bill, Then Martha uh, O'Connor O'Connor got the money for us to build that fence all around the field. And I, I want to tell you how we got that uh, track over the field, over the football field. I don't think you ever heard the story on that.
1: You're talking about the the track at uh, Natowich Field. Yeah,
2: right. well, the football field. I call it the football <laughs> field. I don't I don't Natterwich. repeat that field. So, <laughs> so uh so, cause I have a, not, my feeling for the field right now, Bill, is a little, little off. I'll tell you why. Uh... But we got the track. I wanted a track, a good track, instead of a cinder track where the uh, track coaches wouldn't have to go out all the time. And that's who did the work right, all the time.
1: Right, it, rolled it.
2: Yeah, they have lined to do it. it. Right, yeah. right, Bill. So I asked the school board, uh, uh, and they said, "Oh no, we can't afford a rubberized track. Oh no, it cost ten thousand dollars. We don't have the money." I said, oh, Jesus. So I kept trying every year to get a track. Then finally, Gary Carey and Martha O'Connor were on the school board. And then I approached them again, and they put it through. And that's how, Bill, we would get improvements up there if a particular school board had somebody interested in athletics, and that's how we would get it. But Martha and Gary took care of that. But you know how much it cost? About $60,000 instead of the... $10,000, $10,000, which we originally wanted to get it for. So that's how we got the track. Okay? Now you're going back to the field, Bill, football field. Well, at that time, nobody could even walk on it. I would get after him. But, but now they use it as a community field, believe it or not. And uh, I think that's terrible, Bill. And poor uh, David Zalanski, he tries to keep it up in good shape. So they use a football field during football, okay, which they, which they should do. I'm not saying anything against that, but then, then uh, they have uh, lacrosse on it, which which they should do, which is great, you know. That's what the field. But then, David goes out to tries to fix up the field and get it in good shape for the football season. And long behold, the powers to be—I don't know who they are—but they bring in a football camp, which I think is ridiculous, and they chew the whole thing right up again, so it's nothing. That's what it is today now. It's not sprayed. All it, is, all it is is crabgrass, chickweed, platinum, and dandelions. So take a look at it. You must. After that frost, you'll see all the dead grass out there. Dead You're up in the staff. I don't go to the games. I'll tell you why. I don't go to the games. But do you, do you notice any big difference in the field and condition of the field, all the bare spots out there?
1: Well, you do, but like you said, they're being used for so many things that it didn't get used to be. Uh, yeah, but, it's,
2: but it could be used, Bill, but done correctly, proper maintenance, and, and oh well, don't get me going on that. <laughs> don't get me going on that. Well, let me get
1: you back on something that I—I'll bet your name's not on that field because of the care that you put into it. I'll bet it's because of your coaching legend, rather than uh, well the well, work that you put into the
2: well, field. Well, probably. Well, probably that's true. But I, I, I always, always liked the beautiful fields for my athletes, and the kids knew that. You people had the best f- baseball field around, with the exception of Keene, and the best football field around at that time. Now Bellas Falls, I think, has the best one around because they take proper care of it. They don't allow it as a community field. So they tell me they're going to be playing soccer on it next.
1: Oh, I didn't know.
2: Yeah, that's what I was. Dallas Falls, you mean? No. Oh, up here on our field, yeah, the football field here. Hmm. So they'll before long they'll be playing on concrete out there.
1: <laughs> Let me ask you one other question.
2: Coach. Oh, you can have many questions.
1: Well, I, I, I'm going to ask you one more, and then I'm going to get out of here and get back okay. to work. But I may come back. Um, could Andy Natterich coach today?
2: Hell to yes. Tell you, why not? Why not? It'd be easy today with all the programs we have, Bill. Are you kidding? Hey, Bill, in football, I just want to give you an example. They have two teams. They have two coaches in the seventh grade, okay? They have two coaches in the eighth grade, okay, big guy? Then they have two coaches in the freshman team. Then they have four or five coaches on the varsity team. Are you kidding me? You tell me the kids are any different today, Probably they're better experienced, but I don't know if they have more intestinal fortitude after watching them uh, play touch football up there. So are you kidding me? Of course I'd be able to coach. Easy. And don't tell me the kids were uh, tougher now to coach because the kids are all the same. All they want to look for is to win, and they would win. They would win. Don't worry. So, uh, yeah, that's that's. That's an easy question to answer, Bill. There's a little
1: spring in your voice here uh, when I ask this question.
2: You're doggone right. I'm pretty confident of myself, Bill, as you probably know. Uh Of course I could. And with all that help, Bill, like I told you, I didn't have any help. I had to do mostly everything myself. So if we did pretty well at that without any help and two schools, how do you think I would do now? What a foolish question! What a foolish question. I figured pressure. I'd ask anyway. All right.
1: <laughs> You've so maybe, called me a fool more than
2: once. Hey, Bill, maybe you won't <laughs> agree with me, but I'm telling you what I think. Without a, without a doubt, without a doubt, some of those kids you got up there this year are pretty good kids. They got two halfbacks up there. They could have played for me anytime. time. A kid by the name of Willie Holiday and a kid by the name of Mike Petrie. And they got a quarterback up there. A kid by the name of Newton is a pretty good boy. My God. He could run and I, they had a fullback before he was hurt. Well I would love to have him a hundred and ninety five pound fullback with two halfbacks like the you know, Lil Holiday and, and Mike Petrie. they would be running crazy. But Bill the for this team to prove themselves, they have to beat somebody that's good.
1: That's always the case, isn't it? Huh? You gotta beat the good ones. If yes,
2: sir. You gotta beat you gotta beat the big boys, you know? So uh, I, I wish them well, and I hope they win. But one other thing I want to tell you, Bill. In 35 years of football in Brabo, since 1965, we only had one state championship. And that's not too good to brag about. Not with our program. 1973.
1: So, 1973. We played for three or four in the late 70s, I think 78, maybe 79 also. 81, I think, is the last time we've played for one. So uh, In a state championship
2: game. Yeah, well, yeah. well, I, I hope that could be turned around because I think it should be with the number of kids we have playing and the number of people we have working in the program. We should we, we, I hope we could do better. But actually, when you go back to it, we, we haven't had many state championships in many teams. In basketball, the only one we had was the one you had. Two now. You had two. Okay. Ninety-three. Uh, well, I was away uh, in Florida, one of them, so yeah, right. You're right. We've had two. In two, two in the history of years. And two in the history of the school, Bill. I know. And the same thing with soccer. We haven't had any. We haven't had any in, in field hockey. We had only. A, I don't know if we had many in track. So I wish they could do something to get some <laughs> more uh, championships in the town of bro.
1: But I mean, you're, you're
2: there, so you take care of it. I'll take, my, <laughs> I'll
1: take my match over and light a fire in the room.
2: <laughs> So, so uh, right. I'm not picking on anybody, no, Bill. No. But you know, with the money we spend, uh, I think we should be doing a little better. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not the athletic director. But I got to tell you one more thing. You you ready to take some more or do you have to yeah, go back to school? I
1: have got about uh
2: you know after, 5 minutes. Time, okay, so. well this is this is what something I want to say too. You know, with renovating all the fields over there and building new fields over there, I said, "Well, no more. I'm not going to do any more of this stuff, you know." So one day I was up to the uh, Grand Union shopping uh with my wife and Long behold, I see Ted Rose and Ernie Carlson talking. I said, now, what the hell are you guys talking about now? And they said, well we, well, we think that the school should have football lights. I said, you're exactly right. Why don't you kids do something about it? And he said, oh, no. Well, no. So I said, besides, that's not your job or my job. It's the athletic director's job. They got an athletic director up there that should be doing these things, improving the field getting this and getting that. They're, they're, they're highly paid and they should do it." They said, well, they don't think they, it could be done. And they said, would you do it? I said, no. I said, why should? They said, oh, come on. So I said, well, I'll tell you one thing. If I could get one person who has a secretary who could write some letters, we'll, 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 we'll think about it. So that's how the, the lights were born, Bill. So what we did, I got a committee together and I didn't get you on there because I think at that time you were up to uh, Dummerston. You were teaching at Dummerston at that uh, time. I think. So I got Mike Henry to come in with us and we formed our committee. So I said this is what I'll do. We'll write a letter to all the alumni stating and expressing just what we have in mind. So we wrote that letter. You got one. Mm-hmm. So we sent out 83 100 letters to the alumni and in return I think we got 300 in return so very small percentage so uh, so I told Bertie Sprague uh, at that time I said I'm going to do it my way a different way I'm going to write a letter to all my former football players stating and sh- telling them what I have in mind with the letter and and Bill believe it or not you're one of them they uh, we most of that money that we got for the lights. In fact, over thirty-eight thousand—that's what the lights cost: thirty-eight, forty thousand dollars to put those lights up, with money from all my former football players. Some would give a thousand, five hundred, thousand, fifty, so forth and so on. So, and then C and S gave five thousand, and the uh, Tom McClank gave five thousand, and so forth and so on. But most of the money bill came from the former football players uh Browardville High School. Uh, so And then all the work was free labor. The electrical work was done by Donnie Tyler, a former athlete of mine, former football and baseball player. And Nazi Stoll, a former athlete athlete of Browardville High School. All the electrical work and so forth and so on. We had to pay for the fixtures, but we got them at cost from... from Donnie and so forth and so on. So that's how the the lights of Brattleboro High School were born. Bill, there was a hundred over a hundred thousand dollar project that was done by the committee with yours truly and so forth and so on. So that's how because a lot of people ask how was it done. So that's how it was done, Bill. And now with the dugouts, the same thing. I thought the baseball grandstand was was. A, a, you could get hurt so easy in those dugouts, sticking out in the, so I suggested. You must have hit
1: your head a hundred times Right,
2: over right, Bill, right, uh, right. So I said, we're going to enclose those dugouts and we're going to build field dugouts because Phil suggested, he said, Dad, you know, they, you, uh, you should build dugouts or field dugouts. And I said, yeah, when I get some money, we're going to raise some money. So I went out and raised the money, Bill, for those dugouts. Then I had, long behold, my two sidekicks, Ernie Carlson, the mud man, we call the mud man Oh, he could work like a son of a gun. And Ernie Coughlin, they put up the dugouts with the help of Eugene Searles, uh, Lefty Lieberwitz, and uh, Bobby Pike, okay? That's how those dugouts were built. Now, going back to the Colonel Den, Bill, that was also built by yours truly and his buddies, Ernie Coughlin, Bobby Pike, Clarence Landers, so they would have a, a a place for concession stand, and we also made it large enough built for a storage area for track and so forth and so on. So that's how those things were done. But I told the kids, "That's it, no more. I'm not going to do any more." So they were talking about. Uh, they tried. They hinted to me about getting the uh, football press box done over. I said, "Fine. I think well, who should do that." the people that use it. I think that Billy Holiday should do it, Daryl Sawyer should do it, Chip Sawyer should do it, and Dave Zolansky could do it. So if they want that, they better do it. We
1: better get busy. So
2: you better get busy, because I'm not going to do it.
1: I'll I'll consider that a (laughs) a, a size 10 in the bot.
2: So that's how those things were born, Bill. But it would be nice if uh, maybe they did increase the uh, press school. And also, I didn't tell you about the scoreboard, did I? That the scoreboard they got a ten thousand dollar scoreboard up there bill oh i I know I had to get something back at you, so the <laughs> scoreboard so then uh we got had a fundraising project for that, and we raised over quite a few dollars for that and I, and also when poor Carl died the and his they're going they named the field there was nothing to show. Any monument and so forth, and so on. I said, okay, we 'll take care of that, So we had money, and we put up those two beautiful monuments out there, one is for Coach Tenney for his loyalty and dedication towards baseball and so forth, and so on, one monument, and the other monument over there is for the people who contributed to the youth development of the youth uh, in Brattleboro. Uh, their names are on that monument, and I wish you. Would take a look at it because I remember one baseball Big game you man. were announcing you don't know who was who what what those are out there for. I yeah. said, Well, that damn fool doesn't even know what those are out there for. He better go take a look for it. I was <laughs> going to call you up, but I, I said, No, I better not. Did you look at him yet? Yeah, I have looked at him. If it wasn't for Guernsey, I wouldn't have known about the new flagpole either. And the same thing with the flagpole, the flagpole. Yeah. The flagpole was put up by Ernie's class, yeah. two thousand bucks. But I told Ernie he put it in the wrong place.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? When something like that happens, there ought to be a public ceremony.
2: Of course, Bill. Uh,
1: uh, Radio ought to be there, and uh, the newspaper ought to be there. Right,
2: Bill, right. It's publicly
1: recognized properly, so then the community would know
2: what people
1: are doing. I agree,
2: Bill. I agree. We had, uh, I think we called Tim Johnson about the the dedication of the two monuments, but he never showed up, or he Hmm. came up late, one or the other. But those names on there, Bill, are people who have done so much so for the youth of Brattleboro, started with Mr. Wigan, the principal. He was my principal. His name is on there. Dr. Dunn. A team doctor who's done so much for the youth of Brattleboro. Tony Sassamo, his name is on there. Jim Galanis Sr., who's contributed to Brattleboro sports for all these years. Ed Richards who contributed greatly. And anytime I need any money, I just call Mark and tell him what I need. Mark is right there. And same thing with Butch. I can't tell you anymore because they would get angry with me. So, And their name's on Same thing with Walt Zaluzny. Okay, anytime I need any help. And I don't know if you know, Bill, but we straightened out all those poles on the baseball field, the tennis field, because they're tipping over. And we also added 18 lights up there on that field. So Walt came up. Well, the c- central Vermont came up first and dug holes on the side. The pole was leaning on in the back. Then they, Walt came up with his uh, crane and pulled up those poles right over now. So you have today... At Tenny Field, that's a pretty good ballpark with those lights. So uh, we had a little money left over from the uh, football lights, so we put all the money back in the, over there. So now they have a beautiful, if they would only maintain it properly, a baseball field and a track and a football field. Same thing with Fort Dummer. But what galls me too, Bill, uh, that outside the baseball field, on the outside of the fence, where we had the beautiful lawn, the beautiful grass. Now, now they park cars there. Now it looks like a, looks like a dump. Be honest with you. And I don't know why uh, the the powers to be let the kids park on on grass. I think it's foolish. Same thing on a baseball field. They're playing uh, soccer. And field hockey, and they got the bleachers right on the grass instead of moving them back about ten feet on the track, where there's no grass, where there shouldn't be grass. The grass now, but the, it shouldn't be there. Bill, you're you're ruining something beautiful just by a little stupid stupidity. That's my that's my feeling of it. Why kill something when you don't have to? Take care of it, what you have. Maybe the people probably have a lot of tax money to pay for all this stuff. I don't know, but they would never. They would never pay for anything 40, 50 years ago. In the old days.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Brattleboro Historical Society
2: Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the program.